This week on the Third Impact Anime Podcast, Never Trust a Man with a Purple Rose. Once again, to the Third Impact Anime Podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing the 1984 anime adaptation to the classic manga series, Glass Mask. I am back on the podcast once again. Tobias, your grizzled old teacher. And I'm joined today by our podcast very own Stage Storm, Bill. Hello. Uh, I've been learning a lot of... Method acting from Daniel Day-Lewis. He's been helping me. I've been uh, wrapping myself, blinding myself, uh, putting binds on my legs so that way I can learn how to, what it's really like in the way of acting. <laughs> and we also have a special guest here today, uh, returning champion from the mean streets of the awesome cast. It's Basil time. Because acting is no hobby or fun. Just like podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Acting is serious business, uh, as we've learned through Glass Mask. What a what a what a wild ride this uh, this series has been. Uh, I, I've kind of heard about this over the years, but wasn't really expecting this to be as 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 crazy as it turned out to be. So, I guess kind of to start us off here, I wanted to ask you guys how you first become aware of Glass Mask. This is not something that's really been as prolific in the West as some of the older stuff, like Fist of the North Star, for instance. You know, how did how did we come to learn of this? Bill, what was your first experience with Glass Mask? Well, um, I would have to thank uh, Rose of Versailles. So I heard about Rose of Versailles, uh, started watching that classic anime series, and said, huh, this is really cool. What other series of that vein are out there? And uh, names like Dear Brother got brought up, and Glass Mask uh, came about. And uh, Glass Mask is is licensed by Sentai Filmworks. And Sentai, thanks to their fantastic sales, uh, I was able to get uh, the Blu-ray of this for a very good price and said, huh, it's not that expensive, let's give it a shot. So I wanted to just kind of explore more of the classic anime shoujo space. For sure, absolutely. And once again, i got to hand it to, to High Dive and Sentai for not only having a streaming service, but having one that focuses on sort of older stuff and uh, you know a lot of stuff that's been forgotten uh, in the seasonally rush of new series. Uh, what about yourself, Basil? How did you first come to learn of, of The Glass Mask? So I think I found out about Glass Mask around 2008 because what I started watching at the time was the anime Skip Beat. Have either of y'all watched Skip Beat? I've heard of it. I have not. Well, if you like to watch an anime about how crazy it can be to act in things, watch Skip Beat or read Skip Beat. Because, oh man, does it cover very similar, well, story beats, similar plot threads as Glass Mask. Where now it's powered by the wonderful burning uh, heart of revenge, 
where it's about uh, Koyoko, who is this just random, not uh, random, but like a girl who works at her parents' inn and does odd jobs and things. But, you know, she had a boyfriend who then she discovered was, who was an actor who was cheating on her. And so she got so mad, she decided that she was going to become a badass actress and become a more popular actor than him so that she can show him up. <laughs> and so that's why she gets into acting. But a lot of the similar things of dealing with production companies and competition for roles and what happens when you're audition and other people don't like you and they want to screw you over. All those very similar storyline beats like... It is, it's very good, very choice. But I was really enjoying watching this. Like, what are other things like it? And that's when I heard, you know, did my Googlings and things. And that's when Glass Mask first came up. Then I forgot about it until much later when my friend Drew from the Occupy Renditions podcast, you need to update Drew. Um, <laughs> I was staying in his house and he had recently got the Blu-ray for the Sentai release of Glass Mask 1984. I went, oh, right. Glass Mask. I remember reading about this. I really should watch it. And so I ordered it. And I also think when we were talking to Jess, one of the con chairs for MomoCon, and for some reason, Glass Mask, he went, oh, man, Glass Mask is awesome. If you haven't watched it, you should totally watch Glass Mask. Especially the 1984 version. I was like, okay, okay. So between, like, Drew and Jess was really the people that pushed me to like, no, no, I need to. And of course I own the Blu-ray. What I do. Oh, I hear Bill and Austin who should be on this podcast. Yeah. Call, get his ass. Call him out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You, like, okay, look, I'm going to, I'm going to say it right here. I know it's uncouth to say people look like other people, but Austin, you look like a very handsome, younger Jerry Parrish. There. I said it. Wow. <laughs> That's, 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 that's the reason he wears glasses now. <laughs> that is a sincere compliment. You better take it as such. He, he looks like Jeremy Parrish, and I sound like Jeremy Parrish. Or so I've been told. So by our powers combined, we can be retronauts. <laughs> Anywho's, I heard that y'all were watching Last Mask. I went, man, I, this, is, this is the perfect excuse for me to start actually watching Last Mask. So I, I blow it up on high dive because I'm too lazy to go find my disc. Yeah, so your situation is very similar to mine. I kind of, you know, the, the impetus for me to actually sitting down with this was uh, Bill and Austin talking about watching it for the podcast. But for me, uh, I first heard about this in 2016. There was a goofy parody series. Uh, it's one of those five-minute uh, series that were so popular last decade. Uh, it seems to have kind of gone away for the most part. But the series was Glass Mask, Year 3, Class D. Which you took the some of the main characters from this series, you put them in a high school with little chibi CG characters, and there's they're involved in uh, high school situations that are parodies of the the passionate scenes from the series itself. Uh, really wasn't notable all that much, but there were enough people talking about it uh, back in 2016 as it was being uh, streamed on Crunchyroll that I first was introduced to this and enough people were talking about how glass mask, the original was so great and amazing. And for something that I had never even heard of, just kind of stuck in the back of my mind for the past few years until this moment. One of the things I've always wanted to watch, uh, hearing about the main character and her relationship with this, uh, you know, her teacher, Tsukikage sensei. 
uh, that kind of stuck out with me is one of those things I probably should watch and be aware of to really talk about classic anime going forward. A little side tangent. I, it's kind of funny that, that you found it through like, their kind of chibi parody one because I think Fist of the North Star also did one called Fist of the North Star DDD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I, think, I think it was airing about the same time as this, wasn't it? I think so. I kind of like that idea of just let's do like a little kind of chibi comedy thing and that'll get people introduced into uh, said franchise. Uh, we should have more of those. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you got to think that those series are probably made for the Japanese audience that are aware of Glass Mask and the popular culture. Um, I can't recall if it was a thing I saw or a thing one of you guys linked, but it was an advertisement, a video for, I think it was a, a an alcohol, a wine or something that used the glass mask characters. And I just thought at that moment that, you know, these surely these characters are iconic in the same way that we would recognize Disney characters, for instance, or even, you know, now Marvel characters in such a way that it's just, we don't have that over here. We just, people are not really aware of these, this particular series. And one of the things that sort of permeates our consciousness by being spread by other particular niche fans. You know, I, my only introduction to this was through people talking about it on Twitter, the 2016 parody series. So to have that interest um, proliferated by that six years later, kind of fascinating, I think. Yeah, and man, short series never, ever really get their due because they're little short, like five minute. They're sort of designed to fit in between programming blocks in Japanese television where they actually, for whatever reason, how long their TV shows and other things are, they'll be like, just like three or four minutes here and there that they need to fill. And I guess they've already filled their allotment of commercials. And so they'll commission like these short, like anime things just to fill in those spots. In short, everyone go watch TQ right now. It's great. That's right, in short. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. All right, well, before we break into the main um, you know, discussion here, I'm going to steal a segment from, from Basil himself here. Let's do a very quick moment of awesome. It's a moment of awesome. Those of you not aware, moment of awesome is just a little segment. Let's just do like a one quick, what have you been watching, playing, you know, participating in recently that you want to shout out on the podcast? All right, well, I'm going to give you two. I want to surprise you. I'm going to give you two because I've got one for you and one for Bill. (laughs) For Bill, this is actually a promo for an episode of the Taiku podcast that for knowing how well Corey plans things actually out in advance, like he's already into releasing episodes next year that he's already has recorded this year, (laughs) but we are recording episode on Hajime no Ippo. Yep. Nice. At some point next month, I believe. And I think Bill is right along with me. For me, rewatching it for the first time, because I watched it way back when. But I think Bill is really watching it now. And so I really want just Bill's initial thoughts on How Do We Know Ippo. Um, just that I'm really enjoying it. Um, as you and Tobias know, I love a long series. And I said... I need to find another super long series to watch. I know. Hajipen no Ippo. Because that's been kind of a uh, sports series I've heard about. It has a kind of a very strong fan base. And so I decided to check it out. And what I really enjoy about it is just kind of the the growth of 
where Ippo starts and how he keeps evolving through the series. And also just how they do a really good job with the with the boxing sequences and you feel the impact of all of the hits and all of the kind of quick movement that they have to do with their feet in a traditional boxing match and so i think those two elements of ipo i've really enjoyed and will be excited to talk about uh very soon another aside bill if you're not watching Dragon Quest Adventure of Die. You need to be watching Dragon Quest Adventure of Die. <laughs> Wait till after Ippo's over, because you still got a ton of episodes left to watch. We've won a good long show. Watch yourselves in Dragon Quest Die. Tobias. Hello. Let's talk about Super Smartphone. Super Smartphone, yeah. Over the past month or two, I've been trying to make use of my, uh, my Shonen Jump digital subscription. So, like, I burned through a lot of Spy Family. But last weekend, I went through a bunch of the newer stuff that is you know pretty recent. And yeah, Super Smartphone is one of those things, I think, that came out maybe a month or two ago, right? Yeah, it started in May. Five or six chapters? There's like eight chapters currently as of this mm. recording. Like the eighth chapter just dropped like a moment ago. Okay, yeah. I was, uh, I think last Sunday or the Sunday before, I just sat down with a bunch of chapters of stuff I've been meaning to catch up on. And Super Smartphone was one. It's, uh, it's kind of, <laughs> I can't help but compare this to Death Note. In a way, it's, it's uh, absolutely lower stakes death note. Like <laughs> people, it, it's it's a smartphone where you look up things and not kill people. And I say lower stakes because there are stakes. Bill, have you read any of this at all? No, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Okay, yeah. So the, the general premise: this guy, like, he has a he, he wakes up and finds he has a new smartphone. It's like a a half size i iPhone, basically, and he can Google anything uh, that is man made information. He can't, you know, ask where is this person at this moment, but he can ask, you know, give me this data for this area at this time frame, and he gets the results instantly. And he finds that there's some sort of game involved with it. Um, there's points that are involved by Googling uh, when he has certain impacts, societal impacts. Uh, by using this phone, it gives him points that he's not really aware of what does. The phone is very secretive about what that is, you know, what, what gets involved there. So he already kind of is uh, the main character. Uh, his backstory is his, his brother uh, disappeared at a young age. And he's, that's always been something he's worried about. And uh, as, as he gets the phone, he's trying to both solve local crimes and try to work his way up to maybe solving the mystery of his missing brother. He finds that other people, uh, at least one other person, probably more, also has super smartphones. And they're using it for not so great usage. There's a, a segment with a, uh, a basically an organized raid on this uh, condo that he has to uh, come in and sort of fix <laughs> using his own super smartphone powers. So it, it feels like Death Note in the sense that there's people trying to outsmart other people using this paranormal plot device, but they aren't straight up killing each other uh, in the same way that Death Note is. It is a little bit goofier. Like the uh, the character designs are a little, a bit uh, more cartoonish. Uh, the main character has like a sort of childhood friend, you know, girlfriend character. That's uh, they have a more playful relationship. But uh, there are definitely stakes, like Basil said, and I'm kind of interested to see if they stick with this long term or not. Yeah, I really hope that this show, or this show, this manga, like, actually gets to have, like, a life. 
because mm-hmm. a lot of these newer Shonen Jump series don't always have the longest shelf life because everything's powered by those surveys. And if you ain't getting yeah. placed well in those surveys, then your manga is not long for this world. I think another manga, the uh, Rakugo manga that's been really, really good lately, yeah. everyone's so scared that they're going to just shove like an ending to it and then be done out of nowhere. And I'm also worried about that. And this is yet another one where I could totally see this could be really blown up to something really interesting. Because it definitely does have those like Death Note vibes. And there's been other manga in Shonen Jump that has similar vibes to it that, of course, I'm blanking on their names. But I know that they exist. It's definitely one of those templates that Shonen Jump has. And I haven't really found one of these lately in Shonen Jump. So I really feel it kind of feels a niche that you need for like a really well-rounded manga magazine where it's not all just one piece. Although I love one piece, but (laughs) super smart fun. It's been a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying it and I want to see where it goes. I do like the Shonen Jump in recent years have been taking kind of more chances and have been kind of doing more uh, quirky series from what I've, from what I've seen like Sakamoto days or something like Spy Family. I don't think we would see those type of series in Shonen Jump even five years ago. So I think it's cool that they are trying different things and not just being like we gotta we gotta do Naruto or Bleach again. We gotta mm-hmm. we gotta kind of repackage that. Let's go. Well, exactly. I would want to say in Shonen Jump's defense, I guess, but a lot of that stuff has always been in Shonen Jump. What is new is that we're actually getting a lot of it. Before, mm. they had they were really picky about how they are curating what they are bringing over here. But now, especially now that they have the digital version of the app, and along with you know, Manga Plus, which is the other app that also does a lot of the similar Suasha stuff, and stuff from Shogakukan, is that the other two? Gigantic conglomerates. I think think those are the two that technically co-own Viz. They've got that other app, which is not, I don't like as much as the Viz manga, just because while it is free, you only get so many chapters at one, at one point. And at some point they just go away. Whereas as long as you pay for the Shonen Jump app, you get to read everything. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those things have been around I only know this is because for several years now, I haven't done this panel in recent years because doing panels in recent years is a new thing. But (laughs) I used to do one called Manga You Need to Read Right Now. And one of the easiest things I could do to figure out what I want to talk about was dig through the Shonen Jump app and go, okay, what's new now that's been showing off like there's been a bunch of uh, neat little odds and ends that they we I have talked about over the years, including things like at the time no one knew about it, like Doctor Stone, right? That was again, it's a it's a really interesting little manga. I say little manga; it's now a big manga. It's now a big anime that everyone really enjoys. That is essentially Ice Shield Twenty One, but for science. <laughs> but. Well, it is. It is. That's what I always say, because it's, it's the writer is the writer of I Shield 21. 
And he's doing the exact same thing for science with football, where he will go through, he'll explain either what the football play they're going to teach you is, or what the science is going to do. And then when they actually do it, they completely ignore rules of physics entirely to make it look as amazing as possible. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and I know we've recommended it several times on the podcast before, but the, the Shonen Jump app is one of the best deals in manga right now for $2 a month. And I would have you, you prefaced this by saying they're not paying me to say this. This is not our Blue Apron moment. For $2 a month, you can get new chapters and all the old chapters. Well, most of the old chapters where everything under the Shonen Jump. So it's really easy just to, you know, on the weekend, casually on a Sunday, open up the app. And see what new stuff is coming out. So like we already mentioned Super Smartphone. But a new, really new one is uh, Ruby Dragon. Something I, I sat down and read, read last weekend as well. About a, a high school girl that suddenly has dragon horns. And suddenly starts breathing fire. And she's trying to figure out what's going on. And sort of navigate high school life. Very casual, but uh, kind of a fun read. I've also started reading The Emperor and I. About a girl who suddenly finds a penguin in her, her refrigerator one day. Uh, kind of a goofy uh, daily manga as well. And earlier you mentioned Basil, the uh, Rakugo manga, Akane Banashi. Uh, likewise, I do kind of worry about that a bit. It's not as over the top as some of the more sh- uh, traditional shonen titles, but it is kind of a nice uh, look at Rakugo and um, using teenage characters rather than adult characters like the uh, uh, Showa Rakugo Shinjo series from last last decade. Who would have known that live-performing comedy would work so well in manga form? But it does, because it covers really good comedic stories. And because it's still, you know, essentially dialogue acted out, it's really easy to, well, have characters act really, you know, in exaggerated forms, and you've got all the text right there... But you can yeah. just sort of explain what the storyline beats are without actually having to go through it all. It's very good. I'm really yes. enjoy the show while Rakugo Shinju. I'm really enjoying this new one. Because you also get to tell sort of stories around the people who are performing the Rakugo besides just the Rakugo mm-hmm. themselves. Exactly. And it, it works out really, really well. Completely agree. So as far as my mode of awesome, let's do a, two quick ones here. The first one, I know that... Only Basil and I would care about. I just recently beat uh, Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood. Yeah, you did. <laughs> not not of the patches of the other stuff, just the main the main story itself. Uh, it was great. Uh, Stormblood is the one expansion that I feel like people don't talk about as much compared to the others. So I kind of I had my expectations low going in, which I felt worked because I enjoyed it a lot more than I would have. Uh, I think I would have otherwise. So a lot of fun. Still love that video game. Uh, chef's kiss amazing but as far as anime is concerned i've been sort of catching up on the stuff i've missed of the pandemic uh, of course we just had your boy kong being ended and we're going to talk more about that on some podcasts coming up but i'm just going to say right now if you haven't watched your boy kong being on uh it's high dive right yeah high dive yeah it's high dive if you haven't watched your boy Kong being, you're missing out. It is one of, if not the best anime of the, the season, uh, if not the year. I think this is a thing that's going to stick with me for a long time. I think A1 Pictures is sort of the primary studio behind this based on a manga from a few years back. It's great. It's uh, about this um, tactician, this general from the Romance of the Three Kingdoms stories, uh, Kong Ming. 
he gets reverse isekai'd into the modern era and discovers the party clubbing scene in, in Tokyo, Japan, where he meets an up-and-coming singer, Eiko, and pledges himself to use his tactical prowess to make her the new star of the scene. And he does so. It's a show where it's funny to see the way he uses his tactics to, to do this, his marketing, and to sort of help her rise up. <clears throat> but also to see the way he inspires both Aiko and some of the other characters. Uh, it's, I think Bill's pointed this out before as well, but there seems to be a banner year for rap battles in anime. <laughs> and uh, your boy Kongming is certainly a part of that for sure. Please, please go watch this show. Uh, we'll talk about it a lot more in the, in the future, but just right now, please go watch it. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to the other series that's doing Big Rag Battle this season, although um, I'm a little late to the party there. I'm finally working way through season two of Kaguya-sama Love is War. Uh, that, of course, just ended its third season uh, just this week, actually. Uh, so yep. I'm trying to catch up to that. I really, really enjoyed season one back in 2019 when it when that came out. It was absolutely hilarious romantic comedy. For some reason, I slept on season two and then season three. But now that I'm finally working my way through it, I'm I'm regretting the wait because season two is hilarious. And it has probably some of the best animation for a seasonal anime. Uh, they do some really fun visuals in Kaguya-san Love is War. So mm-hmm. check it out for that as well. Completely agree. So from Zero to Nichijo, just how out there do they get with their animation jokes? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's quite as buck wild as Nichijo, but the way that they set up these situations and the way the creators are trying to outsmart each other, just so they just don't have to admit that they, they love each other but to make the other person admit that instead i feel like there's a lot of twists and turns that are more complicated than something in nichijo So the topic of today's discussion, uh, Glass Mask, uh, there's, first of all, we're going to talk about sort of the, the background and the production staff as we usually do, but I feel like there's a lot more of interest here than, than usual. You know, usually we just kind of go over these names and these people and we kind of put some plot threads together, but with something as, as classic, as vintage as Glass Mask is, I was actually really interested to find how much connective tissue there is to the rest of the industry. Uh, so Basil, why don't you go ahead and give us a rundown, uh, just a general background of the, the manga and the, the, the anime series. Yeah, so the manga was created by Suzue uh, Miyuchi, who has a Twitter account, by the way, or at least someone that runs a Twitter account for, for them. 
It is a popular soldier series. It's been around since 1976 with 49 volumes. However, it's been on hiatus since 2012. And we've never gotten a release in the United States. They've done, like, different stage plays. There's been a live-action TV series. They've gotten at least three different anime anime adaptations. The one we're talking about is from 1984 by Aiken. TMS also did a three-part OAV, or OVA, if you're youngsters, by TMS. And then TMS also did a remake in 2006. And while Sentai has uh, released both 1984s, version both on high dive and on disc they did the first half on disc and on high dive but it didn't really sell that well so they never released the rest of the 2006 due to low sales however Crunchyroll does have the whole thing of the 2006 run oh I discovered that literally like yesterday when I was just for some, I was like, oh, I need to watch more Glass Mask. Let me type it in Crunchyroll, because I was busy watching Hachime no Ippo on Crunchyroll. <laughs> Not thinking, oh, wait, no, it's High Dive. But then the, the newer version popped up, and I'm like, oh, it's on here. Wait, this is 51 episodes. That's all of it. <laughs> oh, man, they have all of it? I would have actually watched this if I had known that there was a way to actually watch all of it without having to really go looking for it. But, eh, there you know. <laughs> That's, I'm excited to hear that because the 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 amount that of the 2006 series that uh, Sentai released basically covers up to where the 1984 series stopped. Mm-hmm. So I'll be curious to catch the rest of the 2006 series now that I know it's on Crunchyroll. I'm, I'm kind of wondering that I think about it. Do you know if the newer series ever got a dub in its release over here? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Because, I mean, of course, the original only has the Japanese dub as well. So I was kind of wondering, since the newer one got a little more press over here, I wondered if they bothered uh, at all. I know that as far as the Crunchyroll goes, it is only subtitled. Okay, well, Bill, why don't you go ahead and give us a general plot synopsis so people at home know what we talk about. So, our main protagonist for Glassmaster is Maya Kitamura, who is a 13-year-old girl with a strong, very strong passion for acting. Uh, she is discovered by a former major, a major actress herself, uh, Chiyusuke Kasugi, um, where she offers Maya the chance to become an actress. But <laughs> Maya quickly learns that becoming an actress is more than a pretty face, as she has to go through many trials and tribulations of becoming an actor, uh, dealing with the demanding schedule, and dealing with the uh, rival theater group of Taito with uh, the kind of the established star of uh, Ayumi uh, Kimiwara, uh, who's kind of the pretty blonde, blue-eyed rival to uh, Maya. And uh, she also has a secret patron called uh, that she nicknames uh, Mr. Purple Rose because he gives a uh, purple rose as like a signature. Kind of, kind of similar to Tuxedo Maz with his kind of f- flying rose uh, down upon Sailor Moon. And it's kind of saying if Maya will be able to uh, survive and become a popular and uh, well-known actress. Now that, now that we kind of lay it out so plainly, I really have to wonder, 
just how influential Glass Mask was to you know, the rest of the shoujo series. I see a lot of, you know, for instance, Sailor Moon in this year. I mean, I know Taiyokuchi, she read a lot of shoujo manga growing up, including stuff from like the 70s and 80s. So while I don't think I've seen any things mentioning Glass Mask specifically as one of her inspirations, the stuff that she has talked about is definitely within a contemporary time frame of Glass Mask. So I would absolutely mm-hmm. believe that Glass Mask was probably something that she read and at least had some influence on her. I could, I could see that for sure. This does seem to be something that if, if you want to go back and look at the shoujo, I, I don't want to say genre exactly, but sort of, it's for lack of a better word, it's of the shoujo genre over time. You kind of have to see Glass Mask as part of that canon. Yeah, I think Glass Mask is kind of part of a, a classic trilogy, in my opinion, of uh, Glass Mask, uh, Dear Brother, and uh, Rose of Versailles. Uh, those are two other names we'll talk about when we get to the voice acting uh, cast in a second. But before we do that, let's talk about the anime production staff uh, for this. So the chief director of the series is Gisaburo Sugi, who listeners of the podcast may remember that name through the recent episode on Night on the Galactic Railroad. Uh, he was the chief director on that movie as well. Uh, Bill, did you see any sort of connection in the directing style between this series and Night on the Galactic Railroad? It was a bit hard to tell because the Night on the Galactic Railroad and Glassmaster are two completely different tones and styles. Right. Um but I could kind of see it in um, the character design a little bit. Um, okay. But he's been around for a very long time. He's still, I think he's still working today, which is astounding. Like he's in his 80s at this point. Wow. And just his, his line of credits as we're going to go through as, as a pretty uh, impressive. Yeah, I noticed that he was also the director on the Street Fighter 2, the movie, uh, another sort of classic work at least for western fans also worked on the touch anime adaptation and the original dororo tv series Uh, not the 2019 one by mappa the original and he also worked on the the, as an animation director on the anime drama films belladonna of sadness and cleopatra Uh, these are all titles which are shared by other production members or cast members which i found to be pretty interesting here so the character designer for this series is Makoto Kinuyasu, which I found interesting. If you go back and look at the Glass Mask manga, you know, of course there are similarities in the character design, but they are not the same uh, at all as Miyuichi's original designs. That definitely seems to be a, an adaptation for sure. Uh, so the character designer here, Kinuyasu, also worked as an animation director on the long-running series Sazai-san uh, with Studio Eiko, oh, sorry, Studio Aiken, who worked on this series as well. Kuniyasu also was the animation director on Cyborg 009, the 1968 version, and Eight Man After. Uh, the animation director for this series, Mitsubo Shindo, uh, also worked on Dr. Slump, who uh, drew Dragon Ball fans may recognize as Toriyama's earlier, uh, more comedic work, and probably better, <laughs> some people would argue. <laughs> Man, this this throwing down this bombs. Yeah, yeah. Be, be careful, Tobias. Hey, man, this is, this is this is a passionate episode about passionate acting. So we're going to there's some hot takes on the stage here. <laughs> <laughs> stage storm, I like hot take storm. 
Shindo also did animation on, more recently, Fairy Tale and the original Puss in Boots series. So again, we see a lot of classic work and also newer stuff as well. I also found it interesting that Shindo did animation work as key animator on the more recent totally Japanese animation, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Hell yeah. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> nice. Nice. There's some good uh, spooky images in that movie. Look, it's Mr. Beeman, the real estate agent. Mr. Beeman? Yeah. He was printing millions of counterfeit dollars in the basement with his printing press. What we originally thought was mold was really green ink. See? <sighs> and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for that big dog and you meddling kids. Alright, so the music was uh, done by Kazuo Otani, who had a number of roles I noticed. Uh, Bill, I saw you mention here that he did music for Cat's Eye in particular. Uh, I thought was kind of an interesting comparison <laughs> to Glass Mask. It makes perfect sense because Cat's Eye kind of music motif is very much in the vein of city pop, which was very popular at the time. Uh, yeah. It was kind of this the city pop, kind of very bubblegum pop Japanese music. And... Uh, yeah. We'll get into it later, but Glass Mask opening is a, also a very good city pop esque <laughs> song. So it makes sense that uh, he would also do work for this and Cat's Eye because they're kind of come from the same era. Exactly. So, like I mentioned earlier, uh, the main animation studio working on this was Aiken, who is still doing work today, mostly on the long-running, most popular, most long-running animation of the world, Sazai-san. And we have a couple other studios uh, that were pretty new at the time, but are still in business today. So if you've heard of Kyoto Animation, who's would eventually go on to do stuff like Hattori Susumiya, and then more recently, stuff like A Silent Voice. Uh, long, long-running studio. Uh, back in the day, they mostly were doing backgrounds and painting, uh, which they did for Glass Mask. Uh, KyoAni very popular name now was just doing background work back in 1984 you gotta start somewhere tobias <laughs> yeah you certainly do all right let's go ahead and move on to the cast here this is where things get really interesting you know use that kind of read over these names like all right here's what they've done here's where you may recognize them from but then i started making connections and then i started realizing that these people are still doing stuff really wild stuff uh, even more recently so the main character, Maya, is voiced by Masako Katsuki, who you look at her A&N encyclopedia page, just, you have to scroll and scroll and scroll to get through everything. Uh, she's got stuff from old, older works and newer stuff. So she was Dunan and the original Appleseed OVAs. She was Aya in Dear Brother, which Bill mentioned earlier. Uh, more recently, she voiced Tsunade, the fifth Hokage and Naruto, which I feel like most people our age would probably recognize her from. Uh, she was Charlotte Smoothie in One Piece, for you One Piece nerds out there. <laughs> and I thought it interesting, looking at her page, she actually has a number of pornographic roles under her name as well. It's not really something you see credited a lot, uh, at least in my experience. So uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the almost memetic series Cool Devices, uh, she was uh, two roles in that series. And I thought it was interesting that she played Ayumi's mother, Udako, and the 2005-2006 adaptation of Glass Mask. So if you remember in the end of the series when they do the Helen Keller stuff, how they had um, the, the adult doctor that takes care of Helen, the original voice of Maya played that same role in the later one. I just kind of love that acknowledgement of legacy of 
you're too old to play your original role, but we still think you're important, <laughs> so we're going to put you in the uh, in the remake. Yeah, I think that's just exactly. a great acknowledgement of, of legacy there. That's cool. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I love it when they do that. They bring people back for, for later either sequels or version. Uh, it's great. The only role it would have been better, potentially, I mean, that's pretty good, but if they could have also gotten her as uh, Tsui Kage, her teacher, would have also been mm. pretty, pretty excellent. Ooh. But what we also didn't mention was that she is also the voice actress for the original role of Sailor Neptune in Sailor Moon. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of skimmed over, but like I said, let's go to her page, and there's something you've seen. I don't want Sully to kill you. She's. <laughs> I'm just we'll, looking we'll out for Sailor you. Moon here. <laughs> Sailor Moon will come up here uh, in a second, but uh, before we get into that, uh, the role of Ayumi Himakawa, uh, her rival character, is voiced by uh, Minori Matsushima, and she has more, I, I found more older roles rather than modern stuff but she was jim and animal treasure island which is of course was one of the first things that uh, miyazaki sort of known for worked on so again very very vintage very classic uh she was sayaka and mazinger z uh, she was the young version of chirin and the totally for children ringing bell very excellent <laughs> movie the younger you can have your children watch it the better <laughs> All those Sanrio uh, children's movies are just like, how is this for children? <laughs> they're so, they're so, they're, they're so scary at times. Like if you watch something like Unico, it's just like, wow, that's really scary for a children's movie. <laughs> hey now, remember, Attack on Titans meant for 12 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. All right. So, uh. And I kind of want to point out when I mentioned uh, Animal Treasure Island there is that some of a lot of these a lot of these roles we'll see were people that were in that sort of original Nippon animation uh, studio involved in the original sort of proto Ghibli works, which uh, again just shows how much these people have come over time. All right, next uh, it's uh, Tsukiyagi Sensei, her teacher, a very iconic role is voiced by Taiko Nakanishi. Uh, she was Kelly and Emma, a Victorian romance. She was also in Ringing Bell as Sharon's mother. Uh, she was the Doom Tree in Sailor Moon R. So there you go. There's your Sailor Moon shout out. And uh, likewise, she was in several of the World Masterpiece Theater anime series, including Pollyanna, Little Women, and Dog of Flanders. All right, next up. And this is where things kind of get interesting here with the male uh, roles, I feel like. So... Um, Maya's love interest, Yu Sakura Koji, is voiced by Yuji Mitsuya. Again, just as prolific, if not more, than Masako Katsuki here. Uh, again, you've seen, you've absolutely seen something of this guy, his voice then. Uh, he was Madoka in Devil Hunter Yoko, uh, Virgo in Saint Seiya. He voiced not one, but two of the great Kais in Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Z Super. Uh, that is Shen and Kibito. He was also in touch as the character Tatsuya. And not only has he been in a variety of things, but he's also has a history of being a recording director for not only is he in dubs, he helps makes dubs. If you've seen the original Yu-Gi-Oh! at Rurone Kenshin, and even a few of the Makoto Shinkai movies, such as A Place Promised in Our Early Days, uh, he was responsible for that dub. So it's, it's something we don't talk about a lot here that we mostly think of actors but not people who also are on the recording side of things. 
uh, generally we only talk about the English redubbing, not the Japanese dub itself. Uh, two fun facts before we move on for him. As several prolific voice actors, both male and female, he had a couple cameos in Pop Team Epic, the most important comedy series ever devised. <laughs> uh, for those of you not aware, those uh, every episode they would use uh, a new set of both male and female voice actors for the main characters. So if you've seen a lot of uh, Japanese dubs for Dragon Ball Z, for instance, or other series, you've heard those characters in Pop Team Epic at some point. All right, and lastly, a notable fact about uh, Kuji Mitsuya is he was in briefly in a band called Slapstick in the late 70s, uh, early 80s. Uh, Slapstick is really interesting because it has it's comprised of a number of other prolific voice actors. So uh, on guitar, we, have, we had Toshio Furukawa, who has voiced roles in Mobile Suit Gundam, Fist of the North Star, and uh, Pat Lieber, also the voice of Piccolo in Dragon Ball. We have on drums Toru Furuya, who was the voice of Amuro Ray in Mobile Suit Gundam. <laughs> uh, I believe he's come to North Carolina a few times to Animazma. He's also Coach Amuro. Yeah, he's he's the coach in Birdie Wing. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, who's also named Amuro. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Awesome. I mean, awesome Birdie Wing. You know, uh, Eve's original instructor is voice edited by Guy Shar. <laughs> like... It is, it is such secretly, Birdie Wing is the most Sunrise anime to Sunrise, now that they're no longer allowed to call themselves Sunrise. <laughs> yeah, yeah a, lot of, a lot of references and uh, subtle, not-so-subtle nods <laughs> to Gundam and Birdie Wing. And lastly, I wanted to call out, as part of this band, we have Akira Kamiya on the bass guitar, uh, most known for Kinshiro and Fist of the North Star, uh, Ryo and City Hunter, and Mindo and Udase Yatsura. Oh. So what you're telling me is that the tradition of grouping up a bunch of popular male seiyu to make them like do band <laughs> stuff together and music together is, you know, at least starts in 1977. Got it. Yeah, it's wild to see. I don't, I don't really know what came first. I saw Slapstick had kind of uh, formed before Mitsuya joined and continued afterwards. So maybe it was just a rotating cast. A voice actor, but I find it interesting to see some of these these big names, these very prolific voice actors, uh, show up at the same time at the same place. All right, and lastly, let's talk about Mister Purple Rose himself, Masumi Hayama, uh, Hayami. This is interesting because he was actually voiced by two actors. Uh, the first one that voiced this role from episodes one to eighteen was Nachi Nozawa, who had roles in B Forever Yamato, was also in Cleopatra. He was the voice of Cobra and all the Space Adventure Cobra movies and series and OVAs at the time. Uh, he was Shakimaru in the original Dororo, or rather just Dororo. One too many rows there. Uh, and he was Paikal in the Lupin the Third OVA, Return of Paikal. We don't want to talk about that special. <laughs> you sure, Bill? We have you here for a reason. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to talk about that one. <laughs> that, one's, that, one's, that one's not that great. <laughs> uh, more recently, he was all. He also voiced the character Hojo in the Final Fantasy VII games Crisis Core and Dirge of Cerberus. Nice. And he tends to be the Japanese dialogue replacement for Bruce Willis's character John McClane in the, all the Die Hard movies. Huh. <laughs> Mister Purple Rose is John McClane. Not a connection I would have made right out the gate. 
wonder if they say the uh, the classic Die Hard line uh, in Japanese. <laughs> I have a machine gun now. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you say ho 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 in Japanese? I wonder. <laughs> And, you know, at last but certainly not least, the last four episodes of the series, the voice of Hayami was Katsu, Katsuji Mori, uh, who was Joe, uh, 009, in the original 1968 uh, Cyborg 009 series. Uh, he was Kendi Eagle in Gachaman. Uh, later, he would be Wolfgang Mittermeier in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. He was nice. Garmazabi in Gundam. Uh, Maximilian Robespierre in the Rose of Versailles, and also in Sailor Moon as Nephrite. So, a bunch of big roles by these uh, these, these same people in this one series. Uh, to sort of cap him off here, he was also the original uh, voice of the main character, Go Mifune, from the Japanese series Mat Go Go Go, which you would recognize over here as Speed Racer. So, he was the original Speed Racer, on top of being Garma and Gundam and Wolfgang and Legend of Galactic Heroes. Like, how many roles can this guy take? I swear to God. Because I couldn't find any information, but I, I'm wondering why they had to change actors so late in the series. Because that, that rarely happens. I'm yeah, curious. I couldn't find an answer for that either. I'm um, just kind of doing a cursory Google. If any of the listeners know why I have any background of that, by all means, feel free to reach out to us and let us know. You know, my first guess would be a death, but um, Nozawa has worked on stuff more recently, so that couldn't have been a... He, yeah, unfortunately, sadly, Nozawa did pass away in 2010. Mm-hmm. So, but that, you know, doesn't preclude his yeah. work in the 1970s. Yeah, it was only four episodes. So likewise, if any of, any of our listeners have any insight into this, by all means, let us know. We would love to to hear from you and possibly put it on a future episode of the podcast as a correction. But uh, I did want to bring out the fun fact about Maury, the second voice actor for Mr. Purple Rose. Not only was he the original Speed Racer, he was in the 2008 live action Speed Racer as the Japanese voice of the race commentator, Ben Burns. Huh. Pretty interesting to bring him back for that role. And again, if you haven't seen 2008 Speed Racer, you really should. One of the best movies ever made. Really needs a 4K Blu-ray. Just saying. <laughs> WB. No, knowing the Wachowskis, they probably uh, reached out to his agency and said, bring him into the Japanese recording. We need him. <laughs> <laughs> and one last fact, I swear. The last thing I want to say about this guy is uh, he has a, a new role. So not only is he you know, classically 009 and Kimmy Eagle and Gotcha Man, he has a new role in Lucifer and Biscuit Hammer, which is airing in what, like a few weeks? Yeah, it's pretty soon. And it's going to be good. Well, if it's remotely anything like the manga is, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a name I've heard for, I don't know, about 10 years now, Lucifer and Biscuit Hammer. So I'm looking forward to see if it, it lives up to the hype. Thank you. 
to know from each of you, Tobias and Basil, kind of what each of you enjoyed about Glass Mask. I think for me, I loved the kind of the soap opera-ness of the plot and the character's reaction to things, because I I loved kind of the hyper-dramatics of everything is life and death, and oh no, what did, what did this this person and their slight movement. What does this mean? Oh, no. And uh, I always enjoy kind of the over-the-top uh, soap opera plot lines. And that's kind of one aspect of Glass Mets that I really enjoyed. Yeah, so, you know, going into this, I, I didn't think I would really enjoy it as much. And maybe that was why I hesitated for so long to watch Glass Mask. Was, I'm not a theater kid myself. I don't particularly care to hear about acting. Not to say I hate it or anything, but it just really wasn't my bag. But what really drew me in and forced me to keep watching this was just the intensity which they cover these, like the method acting that Maya goes into. Uh, whatever you want to call it. From the very first episode, they're talking about, you know, imagine the bird in the bird cage and, and letting the bird go. You know, um, imagine act as if you had just fallen out of your chair and you're on the ground. You know, imagine what it would be like if you were, if you were a doll and that sort of intense situations which the main character was put into and has to go through it is really what got me to keep watching the series. It's just, it's wild. It's not just the the acting and all the background drama that happens. It's how intense uh, these characters take this responsibility to wear the glass mask. I think the creators of Birdie Wing definitely had to watch Glass Mask when they were younger. Because, (laughs) damn, does this anime go for it. It goes for it from episode, like, second number one. Where we open up, I believe it's in Yokohama, where mm-hmm. you know Maya is is working for this ramen ramen delivery, and like the the, the daughter of the owner is like, haha, I've got these tickets to La Traviata, which is a boss opera, by the way. But you've got to take all these like hundred deliveries, but get them before the New Year's strikes. You know, it strikes midnight to issue the New Year because in Japan, what we think of for New Year's is much more of the the family gets together and celebrates it like we would do for like say Thanksgiving or Christmas. 
And so it's a very, very big celebration, like get your families, you know, ring in the new year sort of thing there. And so getting all these ramen delivered is actually very important. And she's having to do all these things and she has a time limit because she is a poor kid who can't afford tickets to La Traviata. But the anime narrator lets you know that, hey, this is Maya. She sucks. She's not pretty. She's not anything remotely worth anything, except she is just crazy for that whole acting thing. And so she, from from minute one, we're, we're there watching her deliver all these ramens. And she comes in right at, you know, at right as midnight hits, goes, all right, I did it. And so she goes to the park where the daughter is, other daughter is. She's like, did it. I want my ticket. You promised. <laughs> and angry daughter's like, man, you suck. I was going to take my boyfriend because it was going to be a good date. So we could ignore the opera and just make out. That's a bad thing. You watch, you go to opera, you watch the freaking opera. Anyways, she decides to go meh. She throws the tickets into the ocean. Maya's like, uh-uh, no way. And so she goes diving into the water. Head first. To get these damn, yeah, to get these tickets. She goes to it and she actually stays in her seat after it was all over so that, you know, teacher lady is like, oh shoot, she's still in here. I bet she's a mark for my insane ability to teach acting really badly, but yet really well. <laughs> Also, yes. you're forgetting she doesn't. She doesn't have a bike. She's doing runs to all yeah. these deliveries. Yeah, and yeah. that takes up so much more time. And it's not just like oh, it's just around the neighborhood. It's like very far away. So she's probably running constantly to keep up to stay on time. No, yeah, this is this is something that's probably actually physically impossible to do, but it's an anime, so. It' gonna happen. I, I feel like going into this, I was worried that you know we see this a lot when it talks about anime about doing engaging in creative hobbies where uh, the the character sings or acts or makes something, and it's, what they do isn't actually amazing as portrayed to us the viewer, but we're told in the plot how amazing they are, and we just have to believe it. But in Glass Mask, we see the intense stuff that she has to go through. And it's not just our random protagonist just happens to be, you know, she's not hand-waved as a good actress. We see her make these impossible ramen deliveries because of her intense passion for acting. We later see her do these crazy situations and pretty much be put through torture uh, we see the things that she goes through that I think really makes Glass Mask work in a way that I was not expecting. Look, we mentioned earlier where Maya is watching the scene of the other actress lady where she was having to pantomime the watching a bird and putting the bird back into the cage. We didn't mention mm -hmm. that Maya can't afford actual acting school because that costs lots of money. So she just finds mm -hmm. some random crates in front of a window and she gets on these crates to watch and while she's watching they it keeps cutting to the crates like being all rickety and about to fall at any second and so you're kind of expecting okay at the key moment when they need her to fall there's the crates are going to come apart and she's going to fall no no 
Actually, she gets attacked by random wild dogs who I guess has roamed the streets of Yokohama looking for girls on crates to attack. <laughs> the natural predator, the natural what of the food chain. Yeah. Like like she's like one of the girls from Kon or something. I don't know. And <laughs> and they, they, they attack her. And suddenly, you know, Mr. Purple Rose and other romantic lead guy had to go fend the, the dogs off. And it's actually one of the dogs or something that leaves a splatter of blood on Purple Rose's, like, mm. shirt. And they're like, oh, shoot, you got blood. He's like, no, nah, it's fine. It looks, it looks like a Purple Rose. And that's where you get the name of Mr. Purple Rose. And his idea of Purple Rose is, is, is because of, like, blood splatter from his dog fight. Saving Maya from these random wild dogs. There did not need to be wild dogs, but you know what, class? That's like, ah, uh, you know what would really, really just juice us up? Not just falling. Let's throw in some wild dogs. And like everything we've talked about so far is episode one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just episode one. <laughs> that really sets the tone of what you're going to get in the series, is they kind of show just the. If you can handle the intensity. <laughs> come on aboard <laughs> the glass mask you enjoy the ride i don't know how well it communicates the actual feeling of acting so much as that if you're a theater kid this is what's going on in your brain while you're trying to get your acting done yeah just the over analyzing and overthinking that's going on through like each of your movements like, they do that a lot, either on the stage or dealing with the kind of the the rival uh, theater organization, Taito, which is where Mr. Purple Rose resides. He's like a producer there and where the other romantic lead is. And um, <laughs> they do they they do some like really underhanded things like. They're on a they're on a, a trip to uh, a theater production, and they hire two men who were like the drivers to sidetrack them and uh, mm. and to flatten their tires so they can't make it to the show on time. So that way, they the Taito Organization's theater trip can win. And I was just like, this is very soap opera over the top, which is just it's such a joy. And then just all the interactions between Maya and Mr. Purple Rose in person, because she doesn't know he's Mr. Purple Rose. And just kind of the... She's always combative or defensive towards him. Uh, but he's always kind of a, a patron secretly in the background. Just because of just the... the she He admires her sheer intensity and veracity she puts into her acting. So I'm wondering, as someone who really never really did theater in high school or whatnot, uh, yeah, I've been led to believe you guys have had that experiences. Do you remember having to stand on crates as you learn acting? Do you remember having to fix a truck just to perform? <laughs> Not to that extent. The closest kind of realistic thing is um, when she's on the stage and has to make kind of changes if something goes wrong or if she has to play it a different way to appeal to the audience. That's common to what an actor has to do. So I could relate to that. Uh, but no, I've never had to deal with killer killer talks potentially harming me or having to stay in a, in, the, in a shed 
in the dead of winter <laughs> to feel the uh, the the truth of acting as Maya has to go through, <laughs> or stay completely blind, so that way I can truly understand what Helen Keller went through, so that way I could play her in the Miracle Worker. <laughs> okay, so admittedly, I when I was younger in my teens, uh, myself actually along with Kevin. From the awesome cast, we were part of a local opera theater. It was a community theater sort of thing. So, you know, sure, I like helped build sets and helped figure out how to rig the lighting and doing a lot of things. So some of the other things, like, for example, oh, no, part of our set's gone missing. How do we figure out, you know, or something broke badly the day before the, the next performance or it's only hours away but the thing that we need for the backdrop no longer exists. How can we jury-rig something that'll still look halfway decent before the lights go up and you've got to perform? That stuff I've done. Admittedly, I have not had to learn how to be a doll, so therefore I strap myself with bamboo <laughs> to restrict my movements. What I feel will be a really good example of what I was trying to say earlier was that, let's say, let's take... The Fast and Furious franchise, for example, two of the leading actors. Are you really? Uh, many are you, of it. Hold up. Are you really comparing the Fast and the Furious to Glass Mask? Is that happening now? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, two of the actors who are now feuded and aren't acting with each other anymore is, you know, of course, Vin Diesel and The Rock. And, and I really feel <laughs> that if you were to show them Glass Mask, The Rock would be like, "Man, this is kind of out there." Whereas I guarantee you, Vin Diesel's like, yes, yes, absolutely. This is this is it. This is real. This is real. It's 100%. This is what's going on in my brain all the time when I'm trying to get people to do the acting that I want for the magnet opus that is my movies. I just guarantee you, he watches Glass of Mass. He's like, this is my jam. I, I 100% believe that would be the case. The Glass Mask is family, Basil. Yes. Yes. Like, I don't know if Vin Diesel could actually make it as the Crimson Goddess. I don't know if he's not quite there yet. I bet he wishes he was. I bet he thinks he is. I don't know if he is quite yet. By the way, the Crimson Goddess is our teacher, uh, Tsuyi Kage. That's, That's her role that was gifted to her by the playwright of it. And only she is allowed to portray the the role of the Crimson Goddess in this play, and apparently this has rights to who gets to play that that role. Mm-hmm. She, she was given she was given the copyrights by the playwright because yeah. she was so amazing in the role of the Crimson Goddess that she bestowed the the right the copyright of the play mm-hmm. to her. And this is like the one piece. Yeah. Ba- um, basically yes. This where both Maya and uh, my brain is blinking on her rival. Uh, Ayumi. Uh, Ayumi. That is what they both want to play. They want to both be the Crimson Goddess. And the Crimson and... Goddess is a role that you have to understand acting in its totality, in its fullness. You have to understand all aspects of drama and action and theater and acting to really, really encompass. You must ha- you must understand acting to the most fibrous fiber, the, the DNA, the cells that build up our bodies of our being. 
with acting for you to be able to even begin to comprehend the enormous responsibility it is to portray the role of the Crimson Goddess. And just like One Piece, we never see the Crimson Goddess play. We're not given flashbacks <laughs> to it. We're not given a hint of what the play's about. We're, we just hear it's the most amazing play that the rival theater troupe, the Taito organization, wants. They must have the rights to the Crimson Goddess. And that's why they're so antagonistic towards Maya and her teacher and her troupe. Which is funny because, you know, of course, her teacher, uh, Kage, she's the only one that can, you know, if she dies, the play dies with her, apparently. So they've got to get someone to be the inheritor of her will, as it were. Not only, like, copyright-wise, but also, like, her heart and who she believes can play this role. That's also why she puts Maya through hell and back multiple times in multiple occasions is to give her the proper training. Yeah, she's a taskmaster. Like in the beginning episodes when she joins uh, the school, when Maya joins the school, she- Maya gets letters from her mother as like forms of co- correspondence. And uh, the teacher is like, give me those letters and burns them in a fire. And just like, this will stifle her acting. This is, this is not productive. She can never communicate with her family ever again. Basically. She must devote her entire energy into acting. Maya's mom just thinks that she is so busy that she just hasn't time to respond. Whereas Maya doesn't realize that her mom's been trying to talk to her for like ever. And never knows about it. But I do want to ask y'all. I think there's someone right now in existence today that is appropriate candidate to be the Crimson Goddess do y'all have one? I mean, you mentioned Vin Diesel earlier. I, I feel like the only person, again, acting's not really in my bag. I, I don't want to say this is definitely a, but I couldn't not think of Nick Cage the entire time. That's right. Uh, That's right. <laughs> Mr. Nicholas Cage <laughs> can absolutely be the Crimson Goddess. Just absolutely, 100%. I know, I like the counterpoint. Christopher Walken could also be the crimson goddess because he's a chameleon he can do any type of role he can do serious he can do comedic he can do action because i think he was in the boondock saints like back in the 90s i don't know i don't remember but he can do everything so i think nick cage versus christopher walken for the crimson goddess i would pay for that pay-per-view i'm hearing nick cage is maya we're hearing um walken is ayumi yeah and Vin Diesel is Mr. Purple Rose. <laughs> I think one of the, the actors they cut off halfway through the series is definitely Jared Leto. Like, he sees yeah. uh, our main characters and he, he like falls out of theater almost immediately. <laughs> he wants to be that, but always falls short of that goal. No, he is clearly one of those actors who's like, ha, I am going to do something bad to you. I'm going to swap out your script at the last second. And so you're not going to learn the correct lines. You're going to read an earlier version of the lines that are wrong. And therefore you're going to embarrass yourself on stage and I'm going to win only. Oh no, they're really good at their acting job. So they actually win anyways. And I lose. No, <laughs> I can't wait to watch the glass Morbius. Oh uh, no. <laughs> 
I I will say just we t- we talk about intensity. That it's not just our main cast that are intense about acting. It's also the audience that watches them. Like in one episode, Maya gets a minor role as a kind of a wounded patient that has trouble with her legs, and she method acts them to the point where the director is like. Who's that? We need to focus on her. Get the camera on her when she's not even the main star of the movie. Or uh, when uh, the other romantic lead at Taito sees Maya in a romantic role, she thinks, oh, well, because they have such good chemistry on stage, they have to be dating. I've lost my chances to be with Maya. (laughs) And I just went, no, that's acting. You're 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 an you're an actor. Shouldn't you recognize that? Even like the actor is like, oh man, maybe I should tell my girlfriend for Maya. And later on, he's like, hey Maya, he's, she's like, what? That was a good job. It's funny you mention that because the show addresses it as a, as the stage storm, and halfway through, she gets like a part time gig uh, that she gets let go from because she's too good at acting. And I feel like that's something that. Um, it gets brought up that not only do you need to be the main character and so good at acting, you need to be able to work with your entire troupe, your entire team to be part of a larger production. Yeah, I think they refer to it as uh, vandalism on stage. But Tobias and Basil, because she has such a presence, like what could she have done to dampen and be more cooperative with the troupe? Like she's just she's just doing what she's told as an actor. So I don't know how she could dampen her stage presence like some people just have that yeah and i think part of that is what i found interesting is like i mentioned earlier i was kind of wary of a show that just portrayed the main character just being good just because she's good and there are times where like the stage storm where she just happens to be so good it feels almost like our preternatural ability uh but we see that she's just not on the same level as as these other actors and I feel like were we to get a second part to Glass Mask, were we to see further, that we would see her take on roles with other stage storms, with other prolific actors, and just you know people that are more on her, uh, the same level as her, and see how she works with and even against those people. Sometimes when you're in a collective group like that, you're just not jiving with them in the same way, and sometimes that means you're better than them. Sometimes it means you're just different, not better or worse. And uh, that's kind of what we see here. Maya is skyrocketing on to popularity as she's just that skillful because of her apprenticeship under Tsukikage. Uh, but yeah, I kind of would hope to see <laughs> where the series to ever end, what the outcome for that, for that would be. I, I think from what I, from kind of my brief research, like they're in the manga, they're still competing for who will be the crimson goddess. Like that's basically the one piece of of Glass Mask is who will get this role and how will their portrayal of the Crimson Goddess be? I just want to put it out there: Crimson Goddess, One Piece Red, eh, eh. Mm. <laughs> the movie, the movie might solve it. Co- you know what? <laughs> coming, coming soon to a theater near you this fall. Maybe this will, with the Glass Mask connection, <laughs> it's there. It's been there the whole time. We'll go into the theater and find out who is the true Crimson Goddess. That's the reason it's been on hiatus for 10 years. Like, she's working (laughs) with Oda to have a crossover. (laughs) Uh, 
I will, I will say that is the one thing that I think I I came away from Glass Mask feeling a little empty, knowing that there is no second half. Like we, I found the, the, the push to see who will win. Is it going to be Maya and her tenacity, uh, her, her, her willingness to work through it? Or uh, Yumi, who has this natural ability, like, who is going to win? The series doesn't really give us an answer, even though Maya is obviously our main character. But not only does the anime not cover it, not only does the later anime not cover it, but the manga's not even finished yet. Um, again, I don't want to like push anybody to have to finish a manga. It's a lot of work, of course. But I, I gotta say, I'm a little unsatisfied coming away from it, not knowing what the resolution is. Isn't it the journey and not the destination, though, Tobias? Yeah, it kind of is, and I could see that. And I'm glad I went through the journey, but there's so much hype built around the eventual winning of uh, of the Scarlet, uh, of the Crimson Goddess. It just, I don't know. Like, I kind of want. Well, let me ask you this, Bill. So, the journey is definitely the main point of One Piece. But does does the the crew in One Piece do they have a rival on the same level as a Yumi, also vying for the One Piece at the same time? They don't really have a rival. They It's kind of to where they get to a certain level of power and influence, and then they have to get past someone that's stronger, tougher. It's very much in the shonen style of you have a, an opponent that's much more difficult to face. The There are characters that have started from the beginning that keep reoccurring, like Captain Buggy and... And uh, Blackbeard, who's become a, a major villain in the One Piece lore, but I wouldn't say there's a one-to-one rival. Right. It's like seeing the individual plays that Maya is involved in and to see how she overcomes those is, is great plotting. I could see a lot more of those over time. But I guess for me, like the overall, the major conflict between her and Ayumi, one of the characters is going to become the Crimson Goddess. One of those is going to inherit Tsukikage's legacy, and that we don't even have close to resolution. We're half, you know, I would imagine halfway through because we got to a point where both of them are now directly under her tutelage by the end. Well, the, I also I think what I like too is just between the rivals. It's just the author did a really good job of just we're gonna I'm gonna do stark contrasts between the two of them. Where Maya's mm-hmm. kind of a, of of lower status, kind of coming from. A working class family and trying to get up the ranks, whereas Ayumi comes from a acting dynasty, and mm-hmm. she kind of had an in as an, as becoming an actress, and also she has more refined features with the blue eyes, the blonde hair, which is something mm-hmm. that's very coveted in uh, as we've seen in uh, Japanese media, in manga and anime. Right, right. It's a um, trope in and of itself. Yes, which also gives her another advantage. And she's also more of a refined actor than Maya is because of just her experience and her different approach to acting. Yeah, it's an it's a, a trope we see used in a lot of manga and anime. The idea of uh, rival characters, one of which has a natural innate talent and more usually more classically trained and one that is uh, more a newcomer or up and coming that is working through hardworking guts. It's the thing we see, you know, in Gunbuster, for instance, these juxtaposition of the hardworking guts character versus the more traditional, uh, innate, talented character. I mean, hell, it's something we mentioned Naruto earlier. That's like the main uh, rivalry in Naruto. And it's something we see in like constantly 
Duty series. So it's really just seen here in the same light. Or like, for example, Ippo and Miata, who, as far as I know, never actually get their their fight. Even now. So what you're saying is the true resolution for Glass Mask is Maya and Umi slugging it out in, uh, in the ring. Basil, so I'm sorry this is a tangent device, but they still <laughs> haven't had their fight yet. As far as I know, and I'm referring to the manga here too, they have not had their fight. You know, where their big rivalry comes from, uh, spoils for Ippo, a, a practice match, but they've never actually yes. had a real match against each other. Well, I'll have to talk to you about this off air, because I don't want to go into tangent town. <laughs> but, uh... I'm just saying that Ippo is, is, is continuing a long-standing tradition of never actually getting to your ending. Just like X-1999, you know, where we'll never get that ending, even though we really want it. You know, it, it all starts with Glass Mask and the rivalry between, you know, Ayumi and Maya. That's that's right. It's just Walken and Cage all over again. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Glass Mask has a direct link to Hajime no Ippo, a boxing anime. There's no difference between boxing and acting as far as we're concerned. No, that's pro wrestling. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and take another tangent. Speaking of tangents, over to the opening animation and theme song. Uh, what did you guys think about the the way this opens? It's it, it's it's a good one. It it slaps. It rips. It jams. Uh, it lips the it lips the llama's ass. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to say. The song's real good. Yeah, everything that that Basil Basil just said times times by two. I, I thought it was really interesting. I didn't. I ended up not watching the OP every time, uh, but what I found kind of fascinating is how she's dancing with this almost dead look on her face. Yes, she's just yes. She just she's just kind of jamming. Like it almost made me think of like an eighties like dance video or something. You know, like I almost expected her to be wearing leg warmers. Yeah, like like it was almost like rhythm gymnastics or something. Exactly. So, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's uh, the OP just has it's a it's sort of like a I guess you said city pop inspired, Bill. I would I would agree with that. Almost like a city city's pop inspired song with the main character Maya dancing around on a leotard, and she just bopping around, and occasionally the camera will pan to her face, and she just is looking forward with this grin on her face, and she's just dancing like this dead stare. Yeah, like like her eyes look dead. Like it looks like mm-hmm. she's like a dull dancing. Like, uh-huh. to whoever's watching, like, she's not really thinking about it too hard anymore. She's just so mad with the wanting of just, just be able to act. She'll do what anyone ever tells her to do, and she'll just do it, which is true. And yeah, it's... it's yeah, definitely doll-like. It feels like it's 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 a, it's almost like a comment... I don't know if it's meant to be a commentary on, on, on the character of Maya herself, but it sure feels like that way to me. Yeah, completely agree. That's something I picked up pretty early on, and we—I don't think we've actually talked about what a glass mask is. Bill, do you want to give us a breakdown of what is meant by the glass mask? Glass mask is basically kind of a metaphor for acting, where you're putting on uh, a different face as an actor or a different interpretation. So you—you're no longer Maya. You are now Helen Keller. You are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a a doll you are now 
this. Insert yeah. this. And that's basically what the glass mask is. It's basically a metaphor of what you're doing as an actor. Which I think is something that we could all actually... At least I know... I don't know, Bill, if you ever play, like, tabletop games, like D&D or what have you. But I know Tobias does. And for me, <laughs> this really does remind me of when I would joke around and I would say, oh, let me put on my character hat before we start playing a game. <laughs> like, where it's, you know, it's a, it's a your filter that you're using to just sort of process what your character is doing at that time. A similar idea. Yeah, I... I that, that's a perfect analogy because in I I'm in a weekly D and D game, and uh, I'm I'm the the DM in one of them, and uh, as the DM I have to play many different roles or put on the glass masks and kind of get in the mindset and the thoughts of those characters I have to play, and so that's kind of what you're doing in tabletop games and what you're also doing as an actor is you're trying to get into the mindset and the thought process of this character. And it's not only like wearing that hat or wearing that, that invisible, you know, transparent mask, but it's the complete adherence to that. Uh, there's a point, you know, very early on, of course, when she's training Maya, you know, locking her in the shed to get her in the role. But even later, I think right before the Helen Keller arc, where she kind of breaks down and starts crying on stage and Tsukikage kind of like disowns her briefly because she broke character for a brief second to express some emotion. Uh, it's just, you can't even like take that off. You were there to wear that mask, to be that role for everything, for the people who are watching it, for art itself. And there's like adherence to the mask and not letting it break while you're on stage is very much or what even, this series is about. Or even off stage where yeah. she's practice, she's having to practice and basically become the character even while not on the stage, like the closest I can think of is there's a really good uh, documentary about uh, Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman in the movie Man on the Moon, mm. where he basically mm. stayed in character as Andy Kaufman, even off camera. Like he, he basically acted like Andy Kaufman. And that's basically the same thing Maya's having to do where she is this character, even off stage, you are this character 24 seven. The, the kind of the definition of method acting that has kind of gotten, has become more well-known thanks to actors like Daniel Day-Lewis. Exactly. Or like when Nicolas Cage prepared for the important role of Ghost Rider, he went to (laughs) this this beach, this war-torn beach, I believe, or known to be infested with evil spirits or something, but he took like rocks from this beach and, and he had them in his, his Ghost Rider, like, is his coat pockets. So that way he could really channel the essence of evil spirits and spirits of vengeance within him. Where he also <laughs> then mentioned he had gotten so wrapped up being Ghost Rider, he went to a club afterwards and then realized he had to leave because he, he was going to start punching people who didn't want to do that. Are you telling me that Nick Cage actually <laughs> died and went to hell and came back? And got a ghost motorcycle? Yes. 100%. That was an actual <laughs> biographical, you know, autobiographical. Every, as all his movies are, are really just different. Like that one time he got really angry and he drove some. Drive angry? Yeah, that actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> I drove angry once. 
I think those are both ancient, ancient episodes of the Awesome Cast where we covered both Spirit of Vengeance and Drive Angry. I think I might have had Daryl Surratt on those episodes, too. That sounds right. Oh, wow. So, I mean, those are from, like, you know, the early 2000s or mid-late 2000s, whenever those movies came out. But they're there. Anyways, you were saying? Yeah, so uh, do we have any uh, any sort of other thoughts about the series as a whole? If we have time, I really want to talk about the relationship between Maya and Mr. Poporos. Yeah, we have all the time in the world. So yeah, let's talk about, and talk about the age gap there. Because when Austin and I were watching this, which he should be on this episode. Yeah, Austin. Yeah, Austin. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, as we were watching the series, we kept thinking like this. We felt very kind of, as it progressed, we felt kind of uncomfortable about Mm -hmm. this relationship because of the age gap. Because she is, she starts off as 13 and and Mr. Purple Rose is kind of framed as in his early 20s or at the at the earliest like in his late teens so i'm somewhere i swear it was like i read somewhere it was like an 11 year difference yeah where it's kind of just it's a weird relationship where he is being kind of supportive in that she'll he'll send like the purple roses to her dressing room or here i'm gonna give you the summer home you can go stay in to practice your method acting or how he'll keep showing up to a lot of her performances um, either at the theater or in a movie theater. And just kind of the weird... Where even he says, I think at one point, is just like, I don't know if I should be doing this. No, you shouldn't be, but you're the pocketbook that makes it all able to happen, so I guess you're stuck with it, guy. Ignoring your awesome, super cool, like, secretary lady who clearly has the hots for you and would be a much better fit for you, both in age difference and probably as a person. Yeah, and so we, we when Austin and I were watching, we were just kind of confounded. We just couldn't put our finger on what this relationship was. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely something that I feel like hasn't aged well. This feels certainly outdated in certain ways and again not to justify this at all time-wise or not but this is not something i feel like that would fly uh in current in current times and it's it's kind of you know belies a a the relationship between your audience and your art um uh, maya needs someone to appreciate what she's doing even though she's doing it for acting's sake uh seeing the purple roses every every uh, every gig she has certainly encourages her knowing that she has um, n- knowing that she has uh, fans out there and that's what patrons do patrons of, of the art they love these works they are inspired by them that's what art kind of is but it does hurt a point where appreciating the art or are you appreciating the person and that's the line that Mr. Purple Rose skirts is is he falling in love with her as a woman are her as a as an artist and yeah that's a fine line <laughs> i don't feel like the series i don't feel like the series the answers in a inadequate way maybe yeah well we also don't get the ending so who knows how it actually turns out but at least for what we do have he's only spending vast sums of money on her but doing it completely <laughs> anonymously, except for as his persona as the Mr. Purple Rose, 
So there is that. But no, I understand as, you know, uh, occasionally someone's like, oh man, sounds like you need a burger and a concrete from Culver's. Here, buddy, let me make sure you can (laughs) podcast about that. Look, having a patron who will just randomly be nice to you out of nowhere is pretty nice, I just gotta say. I don't know how to get purple roses, Basil, so don't expect expect them anytime soon. (laughs) It, it, It also doesn't help that Time progresses in glass masses. It doesn't just take place in like a month or six months. It takes place over a, at least a couple of years. And Maya's character design never changes. Mm-hmm. Like she still looks like she's 13 years old, even though near the end, I think she's she's grown up by at least two or two to four years. So the character design doesn't change. That might be because of budgetary constraints and of time constraints of the of the show. But that was also something that um, Austin and I picked up on. Just like she doesn't look; she's she's aged a day. Uh, None of them do, and it's not. Yeah, and it and um, you could kind of get away with it if you're older, like in your thirties or forties, or even your twenties. But it does. It's you would think there would be some sort of character design change as she gets older, but that doesn't that doesn't come to pass. I feel like. That if as the as the story would progress, we could see that conflict in in uh, Papa Rose's heart. Whether you know is he doing this just because he loves art? Is he doing it because he's falling in love with this girl? Is is should he do that? Maybe that would play out as the series progresses and we see the ending, whatever that would be to Last Mask. And I could see that being an interesting subject for sure. But it. <laughs> It's definitely something that feels like it's skirting a line, a very uncomfortable line that could cross at any moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I, think. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's good drama. Maybe that's part of it here. I feel like maybe that hasn't aged as well. And unfortunately, because we don't have an ending, because we don't see it resolved in the anime or even the manga, it's kind of hard to see how that turns out. I can't help but think of um, Bunny Drop and Usagi Drop from last decade where you have this guy adopts this girl and it's wholesome up until literally the very end where the relationship drastically changes. And that kind of feels like it's to me here. Like it could go okay or it could turn out really badly. And we don't know because this is not done. And we'll never know. closing thoughts on 
glass mask. Well, actually, let's do this like we normally do. Um, what is the one? What What's one scene that stands out to you the most in Glass Mask? Oh man, probably uh, the the one where she's working on the movie theater and you see her just like I'm tying the ropes to her legs and she's slowly trying to get up these stairs um, where she, mm. I think she's playing someone with like a, a, a crippled leg and just the, just the people's sheer shock and amazement of her acting <laughs> at, at that um, at that sequence uh, with the director just being like Point the camera at her! Get the camera! Where's the camera? And the the main star of the movie, who's like a, a pop idol, who basically doesn't want to be there, gets really upset of just like... this, Where she kind of gets upset about not getting the attention, but also just like, I'm not being a good actress. I need to get better. Great scene, absolutely. Basil, what's your, your one perfect scene from Glass Mask? Oh, shoot. There's, there's so many... Like there, there are so so many. Like when she's has to pretend that she learned how to be blind, and so Mister Purple Rose rents out a villa for her to destroy with the staff, with a, a the maid staff, and a butler yeah. staff. <laughs> yeah, who has to like clean up, and they're calling like, "Um, sir, is this all right?" She is being. <laughs> very destructive he's like nah nah it's cool it's cool this is for acting this is fine let's put it on my card now i want to give a shout out to the real mvp of the series uh ray aoki her her (laughs) awesome best friend who inexplicably in the anime has green hair because hell yes good luck it's a good luck who's like you know she's sort of the uh the boyish you know in, in the Takarazuka, she'd be playing the prince. Yeah. Like, she'd be playing the main male character lead in a Takarazuka, and and she just does not get, you know, the accolades that she deserves of being, like, an absolute bro for Maya and being, like, the mother hen of the group and just keep, you know, just keeping on, they, keeping everything together when everything else is falling apart. They disappear, she's, like, at the end of the... I'm, I'm sorry. You go ahead. Yeah, no, no, she does get less and less screen time as time goes on as they start, fo- especially as Maya starts, you know, expanding outside of the school teaching school, you know, as she starts taking like TV show roles and movie roles and other and being part of other productions by other studios. But man, when she's there, she is she is important and she is she is the bedrock that that Maya can actually, you know grow from she is super important and not enough people talk about how awesome ray is yeah completely agree i think the one thing that did it for me that I, I will always remember from glass mask is just the part where she's locked in a shack very early in the series and tsukikage is reading out the lines through the door and she's unable to leave until she nails the part and that just shows you perfectly how intense this is how important this is for these characters and what they have to go through to get to that point. You can't just say you're good and become the Crimson Goddess. You have to earn it. And that's a difficult journey and really seals the series for me as a whole. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up here again. Great series. Glad 
you made me watch it, Bill. It's uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad uh, glad you checked it out. I'm really glad we discussed it. It's 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 been a show on my shelf that I've been neglecting, and I'm glad I I uh, finally finished it. And again, for those of you at home, you can check this out on High Dive right now, streaming through High Dive, as well as uh, I'm sorry, you say the the disc were rig- were available as well. The the disc for the eighty four Glassmaster is still available. You can usually get it. Uh, always check out Sunday for when they they either do their big uh, sales, usually around Christmas or Black Friday, because their prices are really good. So. Uh, check that out. You can get the series for uh, not a bad price, so you can get it there. And while you are online checking things out, you should go ahead and check uh, us out online as well. So our podcast, Third Impact Anime, uh, all of our information is on our website, thirdimpactanime.com. We have links to our episodes, our written articles. We have links to individual podcasts and as well as our feeds. We have a link to our Discord, which you should jump into. We chat pretty often about a variety of uh, subjects related both to Japanese pop culture and general stuff as well. Uh, The podcasts themselves you can view through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any any podcasting feed up, honestly. Uh, I use Podcast myself, uh, but it should be pretty easy to find uh, no matter what you use. Like I said, Basil, you've got your own podcast as well, The Awesome Cast, our, our senpai. All right, yeah. I am part of The Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. We try our best to, if not every week, we try at least every other week, or at the very, very least once a month. <laughs> um, we talk about anime and video games and all the things you probably like. We recently did an episode... We finally released our episodes on Culver's, the restaurant, which Tobias was one of our guests on. A lot of fun. Love that episode. Yeah, it was it was a fun time. Um, and our, I don't know when this episode is coming out. However, the next couple episodes we have planned on the Awesome Cast docket is our next bit real ep, quote quote unquote real episode is Skip not Skip Beat. I'm just telling you, you should watch Skip Beat somehow. Sadly, <laughs> it was, there was a Kickstarter for Blu-rays for that, but as far as I tell you, you can't actually buy the Blu-rays. It was just for the Kickstarter, so that kind of sucks. But Skate the Infinity is our next episode. Ah, yes. And we are also going to be uh, starting... Uh, we also have a Patreon, and we're going to start releasing Patreon-exclusive episodes. But the first one Ooh. of this new model is going to be free for everybody on the feed and it is all about dick fight island (laughs) (laughs) which if you're wondering is it what it says on the tin you'd be absolutely correct i've I've seen a a few reviews heard a few reviews of that and yeah it it is certainly dicks it certainly fights and it's all on an island for sure so uh good times are going to be had you can find everything at awesomecast.com you can also find me at its basal time on Twitter, online, wherever. I am also being much more vigilant about actually doing Twitch streams. And if you want to know when mm-hmm. I'm actually doing those Twitch streams, again, also at its basal time, should be on Twitter. That's when I usually post updates about that, as well as other inane Twitter posts. 
Yeah, and uh, Bill, where can people find you on the internet? I'm still on the Twitter at WBForman, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, with three nines, where I guess I'll, I'll tweet stuff and retweet things. Exciting times on the Bill Twitter account. <laughs> and likewise, I am also on Twitter at Reverend underscore Tobias. All right. I want to thank you guys for showing up today. A lot of fun recording and hope to hear from you again.